So this week, uh, we are going, as we just saw in the video, we're going to continue our walk through the beginning of the book of Luke. Uh, If you were here last week, you have a little bit of a head start, but if you weren't here last week, I just want to kind of quickly talk about what we talked about last week. Uh, Whenever we're reading the Bible, we realize that it's not broken up into nice little sections like we want it to be sometimes. And so sometimes sometimes to see a bigger picture going on in these places can be really, really helpful in us understanding the story. So if we're going to understand today's story well, we have to remember what we talked about last week first so that we can, because it will tie in, it will matter to, to some aspects of this story. So if you were here last week, you know that Tony talked about the coming of Gabriel to Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? So the way the story went is Zechariah and Eli- Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth was uh, older and had not had any children yet. And the Bible said she's barren and that's a really, really big deal in the Old Testament. We also know that during this time of Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, uh, God had not come to the Israelites through the prophets for a long, long time, about 400 years. Uh, God had, now, God had been with the Israelites in one way or another. If you ever read through the book of Maccabees, which is not the Bible, but it's still a story of the Israelite history during the time of the Maccabees, you know that God was there and people acknowledged him being there. However, he didn't speak in the same way like he did through the prophets, like through Malachi or Amos. That had, met, that had been quite a while since he'd done that. And so we saw in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that Zechariah was, was a priest in the temple and that he went into the Holy of Holies, which would have also meant that if he was going into the Holy of Holies, it must have been during the Day of Atonement. You only went into the Holy of Holies once a year, and that was during the Day of Atonement. So, it was one of, so, so Zechariah was going into the most holy place in the most holy city in Jerusalem, and for that time was the most holy person in Jerusalem. It's only one person once a year gets to go into that space. And so we saw last week that into that, God shows up again. That he had been, that he had, like, like the Bible, some, some people say he'd been silent. He was, again, not entirely silent, but silent and through the prophets. He had been silent for a long, long time, and he shows up again to Zechariah and declares that something miraculous will happen. That, Zachari- that, that Elizabeth is going to become pregnant, and that Zechariah is going to have a son. Um, now, Elizabeth is far too old for that to have happened, and, and she'd been barren for all of this time, and it doesn't normally flip like that, right? And so Zechariah even has a trouble believing it. And so he says, no way, and then unfortunately has to go mute for a while. But we see that that's how it plays itself out. And so that's, that's the beginning of the story that we're going to continue today. Today we get to see Gabriel again. Uh, this time he's going to speak to Mary. He's going to move into a different space and time. Uh, but it's important to remember the beginning of the story. And, and this is really why. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Luke 1.26. Luke 1.26. We're going to be in this section for pretty much the whole time, so keep your finger there. Luke 1.26, which begins like this. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. We're going to stop there right off the bat. Our goal today, what we're going to do today, is we're going to walk through this passage to the story of Gabriel and Mary. Uh, We're going to try to do our best to understand it. It's probably a story that many of us have read a number of times. It's a story we read every Christmas. So if you've been around the church for any period of time, you've probably read this particular story before. So what our goal is, is we're going to try to break it down, try to understand, maybe see some things that we've read over quickly or that we didn't catch before. And then we're going to try to talk about why that matters for us now. And so we begin with this phrase, this very specific comment about where Gabriel comes to. Now that is easy to read over quickly because we're not in the same context as when the book was written. 
And so I want to kind of explain that to you a little bit. Each gospel has kind of its own flavor, right? Its own accent, its own focus, emphasis, right? Matthew is the gospel for the Jews, right? The book of Matthew focuses a lot on making sure that we tie in these Old Testament prophecies with Jesus, right? He starts to say, hey, remember when they said it here? This is how Jesus fulfills it here. It's the Jewish gospel. It focuses a lot on that. Mark has a different flavor than that. Mark is the gospel of Jesus' reign or authority, right? If you read through Mark, you'll realize that, that he focuses a lot more on the miracles of Jesus than the other gospels do. Uh, that's kind of his emphasis, that Jesus is king over everything. John focuses on the, the, the dual nature of Jesus, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. That's his flavor. Luke is, is the gospel written to the Greeks, so what Luke did is he would travel around. He probably interviewed most of these people. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was a doctor commissioned by either a man named Theopolis or a city named Theopolis. We, there's a debate on that. Uh, in order to gather these things up and share the story of Jesus, specifically focusing on the Greeks. So what we, what that, why that matters to us then is because we, we have to put ourselves into the, the, the shoes of a first century Greek person. Meaning this, that we're getting this gospel. We, this is going to be written, obviously, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're getting this gospel because we want to read about this person we've heard about. Jesus was a, was a big deal in that region, so you've surely heard about the, some of the things that went on. And so you wanted to read this gospel so that you could understand a little bit more about him. Well, just imagine, if you were, that, that you lived in a region outside of Judea. right? So you were going to read about Jesus' story. Uh, you would expect a few things because you would, know, you would know certain things about Judea and you would not know other things. Uh, the way we can kind of relate to that is that we live in Michigan and we know that Canada exists in the north, right? We know that there's this place called Canada. We can actually even tell you some things about Canada, right? I, 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 especially some of the bigger places in Canada. We know that Toronto is a place. We know Vancouver is a place. We know that Montreal is a place. Like if we, if in Canada, those are the significant spaces. So if somebody was, was to tell you that somebody really important came out of something, someplace in Canada, uh, you, we would expect it to be around one of those major city centers, right? That's what we would expect. So when the Gospel of Luke opens up, uh, from a Greek reader, it would be exactly what we'd expect. We have this religious leader, and of course if this great religious leader is going to come, where is he going to come? To Jerusalem, right? It's the center of, it's, it's, it's the, center of the Israelite faith, uh, when would he come? On the Day of Atonement. That even more makes sense, right? That's the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Who would he talk to? The guy that goes into the Holy of Holies, right? We're at the, that's exactly what I would expect if I was going to start the story of Jesus. And so I'd begin reading in that way and be like, makes sense to me. And then we get verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Can we throw up the map a minute here? So here's what, we, here's what we're looking at. Jerusalem is right here, okay? This area right here is Samaria, which is a reason that you just don't walk through, right? Because if you're a Jewish person, you don't like the Samaritans, so that's a problem. And then way up here is Galilee, right? So Galilee is separated from Judea by the Samaria, and so it's way up here in this section here. Now, in the ancient world, Galilee is very, very different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your city center, right? It's, it's, where, it's where people are relatively rich. 
They're relatively well-educated. They're, they're, they're modern people of the day, right? They, you can imagine Jerusalem being like the New York City or the Chicago of, Ju- of Judea, right? It's the, the progressive areas, the places where people are a little richer, a little more posh. That's what you've got in Jerusalem, a little more educated. Galilee, on the other hand, partially because of its separation here, is not seen that way. If we know things, it, it, if, we, if, if Jerusalem is the New York City, the Galilee, Galilee is like the mountains of West Virginia or like the bayous of Louisiana. It's a place that if you, from the people in Ju- Jerusalem would view it as backcountry. As, as, as the people in Jerusalem would view the people in Galilee as being simple or, or uh, it's, it's, a slow, it's a slower moving kind of life. We see that a lot of the apostles come from there and they're all fishermen, right? They're, they're laborers, they're workers in that, in that way. And so, uh, so that, that's just the region of Galilee. And then we have the city of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Nazareth, around this time, a lot of people estimate, only had about 400 people in it. It's a really, really small town. Fairly insignificant on the world stage. Almost entirely insignificant. So much so, actually, in the book of John, when, uh, when Jesus is calling his disciples, he calls Philip first. He says, hey, follow me. Philip runs to tell, his, tell Nathaniel. And he says, hey, I found the guy. I found the Messiah. Come follow him too. He goes, well, who is he? Well, he's Jesus from Nazareth. Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? He realizes that this city is a small, little, insignificant city. It's hard for Nathaniel to even believe that anything could come from there. In the same way, as us as Americans would look at Canada and say, well, you would expect a great person to come from Vancouver or Montreal or Toronto, we would be shocked to hear it comes from Bigger Creek, northern Saskatchewan, right? That would be a strange thing for us. That's, that wouldn't be what we'd expect. We'd be expecting something very, very different. And yet, that's where God goes. He goes to this backwoods kind of place. He goes to this insignificant village and makes a declaration that is phenomenal. So Gabriel comes to these two places. He comes to Jerusalem and he comes to Nazareth. By the way, Gabriel, the name Gabriel actually means God is great. For just, so just by him showing up with his name and de- declaring what his name is, because he tells both, of these, both Ze- uh, Zechariah and Mary what his name is. He says, my name is Gabriel. When he speaks out his name, he's, he's saying, my name is God is great. He's speaking that out in that way. And so when we understand that context moving into our story, we begin to see what Luke is trying to teach us here. We, we, we begin to understand why he, he actually lists both of these place, places. You see, Luke, Luke begins the story of Jesus by declaring that God is great and he's going to do something big both in the cities, in the religious centers of the day, to the most religious people that exist in this time, and in the country. Luke is declaring that God is going to do something big for the upper class, and for the lower class, to those in the metropolitan areas and those that the world considers to be rednecks. For a Greek person, that Luke is making sure that you know this isn't like a normal king kind of thing, right, where that was going to happen in Jerusalem. This is a message that is for the people in Jerusalem, of course, but it's also a message that's equally important to those who live in a place like Nazareth. And that's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? It's the way that Luke starts his story. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we continue to move through this story. Let's continue on in Luke. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pled to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So the beginning of our story here starts this way. We've got an insignificant woman in the world's eyes. She's a woman living in a town of 400. She doesn't seem to have any special skills or things like that. She's, in the world's eyes, pretty insignificant. She's, we have an insignificant woman in an insignificant town in an insignificant region. And an angel shows up into that space. And the angel speaks these words. He says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, of course, if God came to us and said, Hey, greetings, here's an angel. That would be a big deal, right? But it's easy for us also to miss how big of a deal this statement is. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God's favor rested on quite a few people, right? That, we, that we're told uh, that, that, that God's favor rests on a lot of people. But it is actually relatively rare for God to speak that to someone. People will know it. They can declare it. A person will declare it to another person. But for God to speak either with his own voice or through an angel and to say, you are favored, is rare. It doesn't happen very often. It actually does happen a few times, though. And, I'm, and, and when we look, through, look, look where that is, the names, of who are, the names in which God declares as highly favored will probably stick out to you. My guess is you all know who they are. The first person that we see God declare uh, as highly favored is Noah. Right? So God comes to Noah and declares that Noah is highly favored. It's also interesting that Noah has kind of a salvation story, doesn't he? Right? He puts humanity, God saves humanity through Noah in that case, a different way than he does through Jesus, of course, uh, but he does. The second person whom God declares with his own voice is highly favored is somebody else you'll probably know. It's Moses. Right? We're talking, all of a sudden you're starting to get a theme here. We're talking about some pretty heavy hitters in Jewish history, right? God declares on Moses that he is highly favored. There are others, but others are like Daniel. Daniel's another one. Oh, but that's, there aren't many more than that. Maybe not any more. Those are the only three that I could find. There might be more. I didn't do it exhaustively. But the point is that we're talking about those kind of people, right? We're talking about the heavy hitters of the Old Testament, people that are big, big, big deals. And Gabriel comes to Mary and says those same words. Greetings to you who are highly favored. And so we can imagine in that space how Mary might have felt. We can, we can understand why she would be confused by that statement, right? The Bible says she's troubled. She doesn't, she doesn't know what kind of greeting this was. She's sitting there thinking, wait a minute here. I'm a regular woman from Nazareth, and yet you are addressing me in the same way God addresses Moses or Daniel or Noah. Those two things don't work. Those don't go together. That alone would be tricky enough, not to mention the fact that in the ancient world, the Israelites should have known better, but they don't always. In the ancient world in general, the, the running idea was that the gods were, that gods were far away and distant. Gods didn't interact with humanity. That's not how they worked. Now, and that's pagan culture, and unfortunately that pagan culture we know from the Bible had creeped into Israel. But gods were distant and far away. If a god ever did show up and talk to somebody, it was not to people like Mary, it was to people like Moses. 
right? If a god were to come up, it would come, they would come talk to a king or something like that, someone incredibly significant, not a regular woman from a place that only has 400 people in it. And so she would go, what is happening right now? You've just declared that the Lord is with me. You've also just addressed me like you would address Moses or David, or not David, Moses or Daniel or Noah. You can imagine in that space why it would take a little bit of time for it to sink in for her, right? She doesn't know what to think. She doesn't know how to respond. The Bible said it troubled her. So much so she was just trying to figure out what was going on. What kind of greeting is this? What are you doing here? There's got to be another angle because I don't get it. And so Gabriel realizes Mary is upset, and so he reassures her. Don't be afraid, he says, for you have found favor with God. Now, whenever the Bible repeats a phrase over again in a relatively short succession, it's something you should pay attention to. And so the fact that we have this idea that, or we have that Gabriel has declared twice in a row now that Mary is favored is saying something, right? What Gabriel is saying, as Mary is wondering, how can you, do I, can you really address me like you addressed Noah or Moses? By Gabriel repeating it, he's going, yes, I can. Gabriel is saying, no, you truly are on par with Moses and Noah and Daniel. Yes, God was highly favored with them, and he's highly favored with you in the exact same way. Gabriel goes on to tell her that she's going to have a child and that she's going to name him Yahshua, which is the Hebrew for Jesus. Yahshua, Joshua, same thing. Yah is Yahweh. Shua is salvation. Yahweh is salvation is what the Hebrew name of Jesus is. Greek is Jesus, and then English obviously is Jesus, but that's what, it, that's what that name means. Gabriel goes on to tell Mary that, that the child that she's going to have isn't going to just be any child. He goes on to say that, it's, that your child is going to be the son of God, And he's actually going to be a king like David. And actually a king even better than David because his reign will never end. Now you can imagine for a minute how overwhelming that would be to Mary. Gabriel's just come and said, hey, you're favored just like Moses and Noah and Daniel were. Well, that's a big deal. Oh, and you're going to have a kid. And the kid's going to be the son of God. That's obviously a big deal. And And that kid is going to be a king like David. So in case Moses and Noah and Daniel weren't big enough for you, also like David. Right? That would be an overwhelming thing. That would, be, that would feel huge. And, and it would be confusing. Which is why Mary, the only thing that she can think of to say back is, how is this possible? She even goes to think it through. She goes, okay, these, these promises are grand and big, but we have a problem here. Because you told me that I'm going to have a child. But that requires things, right? And I haven't done those things. I'm a virgin. Which, is gonna, which means that everything that you say, as hard to believe as that is, it's impossible. It's physically impossible for that to be true, and I just can't trust it. It's too big. Which leads us to Gabriel's response to that. Mary said, how would this be possible? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, Luke 1.35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will will, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who is with childbearing. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. This, there is so much going on in this little statement right here, and I actually want to look at both two parts of it. And I actually want to look at the second part first, and then we're going to go back to the first part and just see how special that really is. So Gabriel knows how strange this all must be to Mary, how unbelievable it sounds, how impossible it sounds, right? Because physically it's impossible, not to mention the grandiosity of everything else that's going on there too. Mary doesn't see how God can use her in the way that Gabriel has just declared. Gabriel has declared that God is going to use you for this monster thing, and Mary just can't see it. How is that possible? And so Gabriel tells her. Essentially says, I know this is hard to believe, but I assure you it's true. For example, another example of something that can happen in this case is that it should have been impossible for Elizabeth to get pregnant as well. And Mary knows Elizabeth. They're related to each other. She knows that Elizabeth had been barren for a very long time, and she probably knows she's pregnant now as well. And Gabriel said, that should have been impossible, but it's happening. It happened in a miraculous way. He makes the statement, nothing is impossible for God. He essentially says, Mary, I know that you in the world's eyes are a blip on the radar. You are part of a backwoods, lowly time. But he says, but you are special. And you're going to do an amazing thing. Not because you have the power, but because God does. And his spirit is going to rest on you and nothing is impossible for him. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, he says. Now this small phrase here, I think I probably have read this story a hundred times before. Each Christmas, we've read it over and over again, multiple times each Christmas. I couldn't have told you that the word overshadowed was even in this verse until this week when I was studying it. But there's something really, really special in that word and what's going on in that statement. And I want to just take a close look at it because I think you'll find it interesting as well. Before we can actually understand the significance of that word overshadow here, I need to give you a quick Bible history lesson. So some of you may know that the Bible was written in two primary languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, for most of, the, most of the history of the Old Testament was only in Hebrew. But then the nation of Israel was defeated. They were, they were, and, and when they were defeated, they were spread all across the world. It's called the diaspora. You might have heard of that before, maybe not. But now you've got these pockets of Jewish settlements all over the world, spread out in that way. Shortly after Israel was conquered... Alexander the Great comes in and he conquers the most of the known world. Okay? Alexander the Great call, begins a process called Hellenization. Maybe you heard about that in history class as well. well. Basically what Hellenization is, is the Greekifying of the world. Right? He, he, he does his best to, to let Greek culture seep into all places of the world. Succeeding in, a, in probably the most successful way ever. Right? So Greek becomes the language of trade. Greek is the most common language spoken through the entire known world at that time, meaning that most people always or only learned Greek, which creates, which creates an issue for a lot of Jewish people who are not in Israel anymore. It creates a need for the translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. Around 132 B.C., is at least the first one that we know about. A project was created, uh, or a collection of the Old Testament was created in something called the Greek Septuagint. Maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't. The Greek Septuagint is essentially the Old Testament translated from Hebrew into Greek. Okay? So we have this book called the Septuagint. Now, okay, so you all got a nice little history lesson. We all realize Brent's a nerd, and now uh, what do we do with that? <laughs> Back to Luke. 
So like we said at the beginning of this whole thing, Luke was written to Greeks who are relatively new believers. They've heard about this Jesus. They want to follow this Jesus. And so many of them then would pick up an Old Testament to read how the story got to where they are, right? But what Old Testament would they read? They would read the Septuagint because they only speak Greek. They wouldn't speak Hebrew, so they would, they would go there to read about Jesus or read about the Old Testament God. And this is where it gets interesting then. The Greek word here for overshadow is the word episkaizo, okay? Episkaizo is the Greek word for, the, for, uh, for overshadowed here. And to understand why it's so special, turn with me, keep your finger in Luke here, but turn with me to Exodus 40, 34. Exodus 40, 34. In Exodus 40, 34, we are in the wilderness, uh, in, the, in the time of the Israelites, and it says this. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, if you're reading this in the Greek Septuagint, the word covered here is episkaizo. It's actually a word that's used a lot in the Old Testament when referring to the cloud of God. Right, so if you remember the story of the Israelites, the, that when the Israelites went into the wilderness, it, God, was a cloud, God led them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We see mo- lots of times that that cloud episkaizos things. It comes in and episkaizos this tent of meeting here. It comes in and it fills that place with, these, with the presence of God. The cloud episkaizos the top of Mount Sinai, right? Overshadows the top of Mount Sinai. The cloud leads the Israelites through the wilderness and the cloud episkaizos the temple of Solomon, right? It overshadows it in that space. Now, in the Old Testament, Septuagint, the word episkaizo is pretty common during that time, but it's not in the New Testament. It's only used a few more times in the New Testament. It's used once in the book of Mark when Jesus is baptized a cloud comes down and episkaizos that too and God declares, this is my son from whom I am well pleased. It's used in, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts of the transconfiguration. When the cloud comes down and Elijah comes in there, they're episkaizos as well. And it's only used one other time in Acts, again by Luke, when Peter's shadow episkaizos over someone and they're healed. But that's it. Maybe you can start to see it already, but do you but do you understand why, why that makes this verse so much more special? Last week, we talked about how it had been a while since a prophet came. Tony talked about how it, it, people, some people viewed that as years of silence. And so to, for God to break that with Zechariah was a big deal. But it had been even longer since someone had come in power. It's probably Elisha, right? Someone who could come and fill with the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things. And so, what's happening here is that Gabriel is saying something significant. What Gabriel is saying to Mary is that God is coming, like he did in the time of Moses, like he did on Mount Sinai, like he did when he was leading the people through the wilderness, like he did when he filled Solomon's temple. 
God is coming in a big way, and it's like he did before. You know how big those stories were in the Exodus. You know how big those stories were on Mount Sinai. You know what it felt like to have the Temple of Solomon filled when you read that story. That's going to happen again. That's happening right now. That, that, that God is going to overshadow you like he overshadowed the temple, like he overshadowed Mount Sinai, like he led the Israelites through the desert. I know, like you, I know you feel like it's been a long time since God has done something like that, but he's back to do it again in this way. In Matthew, Gabriel comes to Joseph in that case, and he says, this son is legit, and you're going to call him Emmanuel. You're going to call him God with us. God with us like he was in the Old Testament. John in his Christmas story, which he does have a Christmas story. It's stranger than the other ones, but it's John 1. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Again, God has come to be with us. And just like Moses, when he left the tent of meaning, shown the glory of God, we've seen the, 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 word, has, the word has dwelled among us, and we can see his glory in that same way. You see, the declaration here, when we understand what it means for God to overshadow, is world-shattering. Gabriel is essentially saying to Mary, the world as you know it is changing. It's going to change like it did when, we when God took you out of Exodus, or out of uh, Egypt in Exodus. It's going to change like it did as God continually has interacted with humanity time and time again and, been, and changed the rules of how things work. Or how we as people in the world see things working. He says, we're going back there. We're going back to when that was happening. Which I'm sure is why he also needed to assure her that nothing is impossible with God because obviously that seems humongous. So why does that matter for us? Why is that important? And I think it's because of this. It's easy for us, and we know this because we talk about it every year, it's easy for us to sometimes lose the story of Christmas in the celebration of the season, isn't it? And the, usually what we talk about, it's easy for us to focus on parties and planning and getting caught up in the business, busyness and miss what the season is all about. We talk about that a lot. Make sure we remember the reason for the season, stuff like that. It's, and that's true. Some of us do need to do that. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? Because for some of us, the busyness is what gets us. But for others of us, it's easy to take the story of Jesus for granted, the declaration of Gabriel for granted, because we've heard it so many times before. We've heard it over and over and over again, and we could recite it to you in our sleep. Like, I get it. Gabriel came. It was awesome. Good. Move on. Let's go. We've got other things to talk about. Sometimes we, in, the, in that familiarity, we, be, we can become numb to how exciting that message really is. We, we, we can recite it, like I said, in our sleep, or we, we see the little nativity scene with shepherds and the star, and hopefully not the wise men because they weren't there yet. My wife loves it when I move them down the way because they're two years before they actually get there, so they shouldn't be, never mind. <laughs> we, can, we, we, can, we can picture all of those things while singing Little Town of Bethlehem in our heads, but it loses its punch. It loses its excitement. It loses its bigness, its world-changingness. Sometimes the things that surround the holiday or its familiarity make us lose sight of just how amazing this story really is. It makes us lose sight of how good this message Gabriel brought to the people of the time was. He's saying, 
I know it feels, it, there are people that are saying, I don't know why God's not doing what he used to, and Gabriel is saying he is, and he's going to, and it's going to be big and important, and God's going to be with you. It was world-shattering, earth-shattering, but it's also easy for us to lose sight of how good that message is still to us. You see, the beginning of Luke has so much to say to us today. And maybe it comes from the sermon last week. Maybe you're in a place right now where you feel like God has been silent for a long time. That you haven't been able to feel his direction or hear his will for your life. Or you have, maybe you haven't even been able to feel his love. Or it just feels like he doesn't do things like he used to. Yeah, sure, those things were big, but they were for back then then the message of Gabriel is for you. God is epischaizoing. He's coming to overshadow you. Maybe it feels like the, the message of Christmas is really for only people who are super religious, like Zechariah, people who are at the top of the religious space. Sure, we can all celebrate Christmas. We can, do, we can sing the songs. We can look at the nativity scene. We can do all of that. But really, Jesus came for those really religious people, like Zechariah. Or maybe it's the exact opposite for you. Maybe you're saying, man, I just feel like I'm not... I've heard talked to people before. They're saying, man, I wish I had a story like some of these people who are in a really bad spot. Maybe, you, maybe you're in a place where you're saying, man, God only comes for those who really, really need it. And I just haven't been able to feel that in my place. Or my thing's not big enough. If that's the case, the message of Gabriel is for you too. Because he declares it in both Jerusalem and Nazareth. Or maybe you're in a space where you feel like you're too insignificant for God to really ever take notice of you. That, you. that you don't have any special skills or resources or anything to really make a big impact on the kingdom. If, if that's the case, the message of Gabriel is for you as well. God will overshadow you. See, the Christmas story speaks into all of those things. The announcement that Gabriel made to Mary is the announcement he makes to you. Greetings, you who are highly favored by God. No matter where you come from, no matter how important or unimportant you feel, the Bible tells us that God has plans for you. That God wants to use you like he used Mary, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. He's called us to be his people and to show the world what it looks like to serve a loving and holy God. And I'm sure we've, many of us have heard that before. And we still think, how can God use me for anything significant? And that's why the message of Gabriel is so important then. He says, you will do great things. But he makes sure to, to help us to understand what that looks like. Not because of your power. Not because you have the things that God needs. But because God can use you in his power. You will do great things, not because of your power, but because God will give you what you need to accomplish whatever he's asked. And like we've seen in this story already, nothing is impossible for God. Now, I'm sure there are some of you sitting here as well thinking, Brent, we've heard this a hundred times before. God is powerful, sure, and we can have that power through the Holy Spirit, but that kind of stuff was for back then. That doesn't happen anymore. That's not how this works. God isn't present like that anymore today, is he? You may be thinking. If that's the space you're in right now, then this message is the most important for you. 
If you feel like God is, in, is silent in your life, if you feel like he isn't close to you like he was in the Bible, hear this story. Hear that at Christmas God is declaring, I will episkaizo you, I will be I will overshadow you like I overshadow the tent of meeting. I will lead you like I lead the Israelites through the Old Testament. That I will come in the way that I was then, now through the person of Jesus. You see, Christmas is the declaration that the Most High has not left us. That the miracles that we see through the Old Testament, the miracles we see in the Exodus, the intimate presence of God we see on Mount Sinai, or over the tent of meeting, or in the temple of Solomon, is still here, but it looks like Jesus. The message of Gabriel to us through Christmas right now is that the God who spoke with Moses and the people in the Old Testament is the God that speaks to you through the Holy Spirit made available to all of us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God is declaring, I am coming in power and I will overshadow you. I will episkaizo you. So this Christmas season, don't let busyness or familiarity steal that overwhelming beauty from you. Don't let it steal that truth from you. It's a joyous time of year because God is declaring the world will change or has changed because of what happened at Christmas. God has come. He's overshadowed us all and he's calling all of us to follow him like he called Mary. He's calling us to, to, to let him use his power through us and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And when we do, like Mary did, said, hey, I serve the Lord, I'll do whatever, I'll hope as what, may what you said come to pass. When we do, we will witness in very real ways, like Mary did throughout her entire life, the love and power of our God at work each and every day. Christmas is the declaration that God is here and that he wants all of us to follow him in service so that his power can work through us and this world can be a little bit more like heaven than hell. That's the declaration of Christmas. That's the challenge it gives to all of us and that's the hope it provides through the Holy Spirit. Throughout this season, hear that declaration over and over again. Greetings to you who are highly favored. I got plans. Plans for you and plans for the world. And nothing that you've known will ever be the same. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the message of Gabriel at Christmas. Thank you for, you, thank you for your faithfulness throughout history. That though we as humans have not followed your will, not done what you've asked, you've never given up on us. You walked with us through the desert. You came to us through Jesus. You continually are with us constantly now through the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear the declaration of Christmas that we are episkaizod, we are overshadowed by your power in your love. And help us to live that out into everyone we come in contact with, not only for the Christmas season, but for the entire year. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name through the power of the Spirit. Amen. Will you stand and sing our final song?